Welcome to Bomberos on Fire, a bilingual podcast where we dive into the world of mental health for first responders and emergency workers. My name is Armando. I'm a firefighter, nurse, and paramedic for over 15 years experience. I'm here to provide a safe and supportive space for our first responders and emergency workers. So join us on our journey of growth and healing, where together we will learn how to stay strong both physically and mentally. Don't miss a single episode of Bombers on Fire on Spotify, Apple, Google, or even on Heart Radio. Subscribe now and become part of the community. Thank you for listening. Today's episode of Bombers on Fire is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is not always easy to talk about mental health when it feels like no one around you really understands your situation especially in a field that is taboo to talk about it. In my personal case, my family are first responders. We take care of everybody, but we rarely ask for help. Whenever you are feeling anxious, stressed, or just not quite yourself, it can be really hard to know where to turn for help. Well, remember, you are not alone. That is where better help comes in. BetterHelp is an online therapy service that connects you with a licensed mental health professional based on your particular needs right from the comfort of your own home. You can start your mental health journey with BetterHelp. You will be matched with a licensed therapist who fits your necessities in a couple of days. BetterHelp makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. The beauty of BetterHelp, it is worldwide, regardless where you are. From San Juan to Berlin, from Orlando to Madrid, BetterHelp is there for you. They have a broad range of mental health therapies available for you that might not be locally. And guess what? BetterHelp isn't just available in English, making it an inclusive platform regardless of where you live or what is your language. Once you match, you can send a message anytime. Get timely responses and you can schedule weekly videos or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in a waiting room again. BetterHelp makes professional mental therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life challenge can get help anytime, anywhere. To top it off, BetterHelp costs are based on your locations, preference, and therapist availability. You can cancel your membership at any time for any reason. I believe that everyone deserves the support they need, no matter who they are or where they're from, especially if you are first responders. As a listener of Bomberos on Fire podcast, use a special link betterhelp.com slash bomberos on fire for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and join the vast number of people who have taken charge of their mental health with an assistance of an experienced mental health professional therapist. Remember, there's no shame in asking for help, and you are not alone. Let's create a world where mental health is never overlooked, and do not forget to use our link betterhelp.com slash fire, and you will receive 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp. And now, let's get back to our show.
All right, perfect. Welcome back, my community of firefighters, police, medics, nurses, and everybody who suffers from mental health. My name is Armando, one of your hosts for Bomberos on Fire podcast. I'm here. I'm delighted. I'm excited to talk with this person over here next to me on the screen. Um, she's a psychologist, a mental health counselor. She's in New York, and she's also a board member of the COVID-19 task force. And New York City part. COVID care. Yeah. New York, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we start, I want to say thank you to everybody to listen to us in the United States, Mexico, Spain, Morocco, which is new. I didn't know I had one in Morocco. Uh, the Philippines, Portugal, and South America. Doc, the floor is yours. You can introduce yourself. Thank you. Um, hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, as you said, I'm Dr. Nicole Andrelli. I'm a clinical psychologist based in New York City. I'm also a, a, a member of the board for the New York City COVID Care Coalition. We provided free mental health support. Originally, it started to first responders, but it was open um, to all um, pretty much during, for the most part, during the height of COVID. the COVID years. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, to start out of the bat, I know you've seen an increase or a change in mental health pre and post COVID. But I'm wondering for first responders, what was your your main change or the thing that you saw? Like, oh, this is this is COVID related to the first responder guys. Well, I think a lot came up for first responders, particularly. Um, during COVID, you know, with any first responder, you typically see things like anxiety and fear. Um, there, there's a really high risk of emotional burnout just from dealing with high stress situations um, and those traumatic responses. Um, I think in particular with COVID-19, a couple of additional things that came up for first line responders was things like stigmatization and social isolation, right? Because there was this you know, especially in the very beginning, um, there was uh, a fear of, am I going to get sick? Am I going to bring this home and affect or infect my family and friends and loved ones? So I think on top of all of the stress and anxiety and emotional burnout that first responders typically feel in the day to day, there was this added element of, you know, if I come home, I have to completely isolate from family and friends, right? So their support network, there was this risk of, of infecting, which really can really take its toll. Um, also, I know, especially in the very beginning, those first cu couple of months of COVID, a lot of first responders had to face some really ethical dilemmas, right? There were some moral issues that came up because of the limited resources in, um, you know, medical equipment, in um, protective care equipment. Um, and for some people, it was making decisions about end-of-life care. Um, and that really led to increased feelings of guilt and moral distress, and even for some people, like moral injury. So those were definitely, I think, some differences that came up specifically with COVID, um, yeah. as opposed to maybe um, the typical first responders experience. Yeah, because I do talking about it, uh, I have to make decisions on the field because at that time I was um, every time a respiratory arrest or anybody mm -hmm. with respiratory problems, once once I intubated, if I intubate, uh, I knew they would be gone and that right. specific moment on the COVID. So 
I, I hear you when you say that, yeah, we have to take decisions that uh, will improve or literally kill somebody in the long run, especially with COVID. So, yeah, yeah that was uh, that was an experience. I remember that was a couple months, like a year on yeah. doing that. I wasn't able to intubate somebody sometimes or uh, I wasn't able to even reach a patient. And and uh, when I was working on, on, on that time, I got the bubble, the NBA bubble, uh, ESPN mm -hmm. facility. And we have to go through so many barriers to take, to get a patient to go back again. And they have to go home thinking about my family. My wife is a nurse, ER nurse. So we both were literally changing on the driveway, <laughs> getting yeah. naked and changing. You know, as I was saying that, that's what I pictured, like the stories of people coming home from, so from their jobs and getting changed outside, not mm -hmm. wanting to bring in clothes that could potentially be contaminated, right? was the thought process at the time yeah. um, to not bring them into the home. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I'm glad we went through that phase and now we are uh, a little more calm and collective, mm -hmm. everybody. And, mm -hmm. uh, and in, uh, in your perspective, after that acute COVID response, what do you see in the first responders after a year of no having COVID in, in New York City? What is the difference now? Or what type of mental well, problems you know, you I think I think there's been phases. I think there was a point where um, everyone kind of hit a little bit of burnout with it, right? And we became, and I think it was true for first responders as well, a little desensitized. You know, to your point, there was such an increase in the amount of deaths that were experienced um, as, as opposed to maybe what your day-to-day -day was like at work the year prior. And originally, while that may have been such a source of burnout, you go into almost like survival mode. You're desensitized to it and you're just getting through the day-to-day. And I think from that, you know, that kind of burnout experience leads to um, what we would call secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. And I think it led to a lot of compassion fatigue. You know, this became something that now we're so desensitized to that we're just kind of checked out about it. Um, mm. We're almost tired of feeling the emotions. And I think as that continued, then you know, that trauma starts bubbling up again, then you start to see first responders who are experienced like a post-traumatic stress response to everything that they had been through the past couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I saw an increase of anxiety, not just uh, the public when I took care of, when they called 911, uh, in mm -hmm. between us. We had actually, after COVID, a year after, we had three or four suicide on Central Florida firefighters. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the reason I mean, it why makes I sense it. given yeah. there's also, I don't know how it is for, uh, for where you are. Are, is there, is there like open and easy access to mental health care as you're experiencing these things? Uh, and even, and even after, is everyone even open to receiving it? What's that been well, like for you guys? Well, for us, we do have a program, uh, that mm -hmm. can help you go through that. The problem I see on the first responder side, especially firefighters and police, is be open to talk about it mm -hmm. because it looks like a sign of weakness. Yeah. If I told the guys on the station, hey, I feel depressed and I want to cry because I've been through so much stress and I've seen kids dying from COVID or even cardiac arrest, uh, you, would, you will be pointing as the weak link. Right. In the majority. Not, not mm -hmm. what I work kind of, but in the majority. So that's, it's not the resources, it's the fact that it take a you know, lot it's, to that, that's such a great point and, because and, uh, um, like said, the New York City uh, COVID Care Podcast, Network, which we, we are, mentioned. Yeah, we are, um, we, are, we are a difficult community to get in. <laughs> yeah. 
I, mean, I can tell you that we've had a similar experience. The New York City COVID Care uh, Network, which um, you know you mentioned, I'm on the board of. We had originally started. Um, so let me give you background for a quick second. Yeah. That network was originally started to provide free mental health care in early March of 2020, um, or in early COVID, probably late March of 2020, um, to first responders. Um, that you know, especially at that time when everything was so unknown and just so scary, they really needed it. And what we found was that they didn't want it or they weren't willing to get it. And this was first responders. We found, um, you know, everyone from EMTs, police, and the fire departments through the hospitals, medical professionals who wouldn't reach out for help for those reasons. It felt like a weakness. It felt like something, this is what I do. So I should be able to handle whatever comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the network evolved from there, um, we offered it then to their friends and family as ways of how can we get the support out there, even if it's not directly. Um, but that was definitely, um, an obstacle that we routinely ran into that the people who needed this care the most weren't willing to accept it. Yes. And and it's true though. We have rough crowd to deal with (laughs) from the beginning (laughs) (laughs) from our sense of humor to our way that we do things like uh, we get drilled in the head from the beginning that mm-hmm. we don't quit. We, we never, especially between us, we like a brotherhood or a sisterhood mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. We take care of each other. We don't, we don't expose our problems to the public or somebody else. So I can't even imagine in New York dealing with that. Because over there, there's a mecca for firefighters. This is FDNY <laughs> coming right. from Orlando. <laughs> so yeah, I, I imagine that's something difficult to deal with. But what are, since we're talking about that, what is the, one of the tools that you guys use in the beginning and now the different tools you use now to treat firefighters or first responders or in general public? After COVID. I mean, in, in general, I think that um, the best approach that we found is offering, you know, offering a lot of it sometimes comes down to education, right? I mean, not specifically with trauma, but education around what are the symptoms that you could potentially be experiencing? What do they look like? What does that mean? What can you do to help yourself? And what else is out there as a means of support? And one of the things that we found uh, with the New York City COVID Care Network that really helped with that was putting the information out there in different mediums, right? Because people were open to what they were open to. You can't force someone to meet with a therapist if they're not open to it, right? It's going to be minimally effective. So we offered... um group therapy, which was really helpful. We've offered workshops, um, which, you know, did really well as a way of, you know, if you th- maybe you're experiencing burnout, here are the signs, here are the symptoms to look out for. Here are ways that you can help to improve what you're experiencing. Um, here are resources of people that you can talk to if you're willing to do that. Um, and I think it was a way of a great way of like providing education, getting some information out there. And then, you know, what we would hear back after the groups and after the workshops was, oh, wow, that was helpful. I didn't really think that this applied to me, but I'm seeing now that it does. And then it was kind of like a, almost like a baby step into opening up themselves for that kind of help, for that kind of therapy. And which tool actually helped the most of the firefighters? I know everyone is different. Everybody has specific uh, Mm. treatment, but what is the tool that you saw like it helped more the firefighters and 
police and EMTs and medics. The workshops, I the think, workshops. where it was more of, of a group um, coming together rather than the the one-on-one therapy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because you feel like you have somebody next to you that feel the same way. You don't feel by yeah. yourself, the shame. And I think and to your point, it speaks to that, you know, community, that, that brother or sisterhood that um, is within those networks. So it, it kind of made it a thing that, okay, we're, we're, we're in this together. We're doing this together. And that's such a great way to um, identify. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And because I'm, I'm in a peer support team at my fire mm -hmm. station. So we're trying to find tools, trying to find, figure out a way to open people up so we can give them the help. Like mm -hmm. when I, when I, somebody approached me and said, look, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a dumb fireman, paramedic. That's all I know. But I can, I can find you the tools. I can find you the person who's an expert specialized on this subject. Um, right. And something a little more, a little darker, but uh, how about talking about suicide? We have a lot of suicides in Florida, in central Florida lately uh, or recently. What do you be your best tool, how to approach somebody who had the thoughts? Because it's hard for us, even for us to talk to one of my peers, knowing that it's in that route. How do you approach that? How do you? Well, so a few things. First, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about that because it is something that be, has become so prevalent um, just as a consequence of all of this. Um, and I think along with the suicide, there's other, there's other like warning signs and risk factors to look for. And this is where some of that education is so helpful. Um, a lot of times when the anxiety and especially the depression and the burnout becomes so high that it's unbearable, um, people are turning towards things like alcohol and drugs as ways to cope. Um, and they could be real warning signs that there's something deeper going on here. Um, and I think, I think that education around, um, looking at some of, um, the really big symptoms of depression, here's someone they're no longer, they're sad, right? They're no longer doing things that make them happy. Maybe they're no longer reaching out to family and friends for support or, um, just, in, in, a, in a social sense. So looking for those kind of warning signs as this person is depressed, they have, they have something that's going on. We need to get them, we need to get them some more help. And that's really where therapy can be, can be really beneficial, but even things like it could be a loss of an appetite or they're eating more, right? A significant change, not sleeping or sleeping too much, like getting really lethargic, any type of, you know, big difference in behavior and any change in behavior, whether less or more is going to be a warning sign that something is going on. Okay. So basically any chance of change of extreme behavior, like mm -hmm. somebody used to eat cake all the time. And then suddenly at dinner time, he stopped eating cake and he goes to his room and disappear. Right. Like have happened in a lot of, a lot of times. All right. Yeah. That's... Yeah. You see like those changes in appetite because, you know, a lot of these emotional experiences, especially if we're not talking about them, if we're not processing them, we're going to hold on to them physically. And so that's where you'll see changes in appetite, changes in sleep patterns, changes in energy levels, more or less. And these aren't necessarily, I want to be clear, not necessarily warning signs for suicide that someone is, um, yeah you know, to, at that extreme, but they're warning signs that there's something emotional is going on. They're warning signs for depression. And that's really where you want to, you want to intervene, check in with someone. Is everything before. okay? Um, do they need help Get finding worse. someone to talk to? 
Um, so that's kind of what I would suggest looking out for. Got it. And uh, I know New York is a, is a melting pot. You got mm -hmm. every culture everywhere. Do you guys have a different approach, for example, uh, talking to the Hispanic community or the Indian community or the Asian or, or anything like How do you guys approach that? Because it's, it's, you guys have everything there. <laughs> I, I do think that most, um, not just therapists, but, you know, medical care providers, um, have become more and more well-versed in cross-cultural approaches to therapy because it, we are, we are very diverse and that is very important. I also think in recent years, there's been, um, a huge shift where we're, where we're seeing, I know in the fields of therapy, historically, it's been predominantly white women as therapists, which can be very right. off-putting to, if you're not a white woman, you know, be, you know, the feeling that you can't connect and from a place of shared life experience. And I think in recent years there, you really have seen, a shift in the makeup of the mental health field where you are seeing so much more diversity in therapists, which has been really great. I know with um, New York City COVID network and even at my own practice, you know, making sure that we were very diverse so we could offer, um, you know, expo you know, a, a better match between the yeah. client and the therapist, because it is, it is really important. Um, and that's something that I think even some of like our governing boards, you know, the American Psychological Association, American Psychi Psychiatric Association have really made a push for too, making sure that there is diversity in um, these counseling and clinical programs and these medical programs so that we are representative of the people yeah. that we serve. Exactly. Especially in my case, Hispanic community with some of the guys don't speak any English. You have to speak Spanish. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that's the reason why I do it sometimes in Spanish so people can hear me too in different language and hopefully I reach more. All yeah. I care is at least somebody, someone uh, is able to take these tools and actually help somebody or help somebody else. I, I, I'm glad. I'm I did yeah. my work with this. You know, and to your point, there is research that shows that that connection between the client and the therapist is so important for positive therapy outcomes. And for some people, part of that connection is based on, you know, the gender that they identify or yeah. on their race or their ethnicity. And so it's so important that people have access to a therapist that they can really feel comfortable with. Yeah, it's true. And if somebody wants to reach you in New York, what mm -hmm. can go Oh, the website, you got a website, you got an Instagram. I'll put it on the description link, but let's see yeah. talking about it. So uh, my Instagram is at Dr. Nicole underscore NY. And the website is www drnicoleandrioli.com and Perfect. maybe we'll spell out my last name somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I will put it in the description no, no matter what. Uh, so yeah. people can actually spell it. Uh, but yeah, thank you for, for that uh, data. And um, talking about that diversity, because I've seen also, not just in the firefighter community of police, the gender identity, the, the all that's going on at the moment. Have you seen an increase on patients regarding that subject or, or, or maybe policemen or firefighters that want to come out and they can, or I don't know how you guys see in New York. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I think that um, just where the world has come in recent years is that we're so much more accepting to people, you know, identifying in a way that feels comfortable and right for them. Um, so I definitely think there's been an uptick in even just talking about 
gender identity and sexuality um, than there has been even over, you know, my short career. I definitely have seen that more in recent years than I, than I ever remember when I was first, um, you know, training and first starting out. And I think that just really speaks to the way that the world has changed. You know, we can be so much more open. We are so much more accepting. Um, and so it has given people the, the space to really explore that. Yeah. To get that. Cause, uh, that can also cause a lot of problems too, because you you feel like you're in the closet. You feel like you're closed down. You cannot be yourself, regardless Absolutely. of the job that you're taking. So, yeah, I seen when well, after it's another COVID, layer like, of stress, right? Not being COVID able passed, to fully recognize saw, uh, or acknowledge who you are, or even yeah. fully express it. So it just becomes another layer of anxiety. There could yeah. be sadness wrapped in there, maybe guilt or or even shame. Um, and so, if you're already in a high pressure job, a high stress job, you're already experiencing so many of these things. Here's just another thing that you're coping with on top of it. Yeah. And, and it's just not just the, the workers, it's just the uh, patients too. So mm -hmm. I got a call from patients that are going through that crisis, literally going through a middle crisis about the gender identity and, and how they feel. And they yeah. call us. We, we are not trained on psychology. We should train on how to save the emergency or mm -hmm. take care of fire. But, uh, I just know basic tools, how to keep you kind of stable. Meanwhile, take you to the emergency room or to a specialist. So, yeah, I, I, did, I saw a lot of increasing of that cases after COVID yeah. and a lot of anxiety and depression, a lot of suicide thoughts or attempts, at least that I saw in the 911 system where, where I work in Florida. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, it's just incredible how COVID, how that situation changed basically the way we treat people now. Right. It's, it's more holistic, I think, in my opinion, than, than just, in my case, treating uh, uh, hypoglycemic patients or treating just a stroke or, or MI. Mm -hmm. It's more holistic now that, that I've seen it. You probably yeah, seen it too I agree. In your case. I think it helped to really shed a lot of light on the connections between the mental and emotional and the physical and how they really, you know, they can affect each other and they could exacerbate emotional and mental health can really exacerbate physical symptoms and present itself physically to your point. Yeah. What is, what do you suggest, right? If I got somebody, one of the guys that work in 911 with a panic attack, what tools do you suggest to us to help to treat that? Meanwhile, taking you to the expert, what do you, mm -hmm. what are your tools? What do you say? Or. So I think for someone who's experiencing panic, there's a couple of things, right? There's physical symptoms and there's also cognitive symptoms. Physically, they're experiencing increased heart rate and shortness of breath are probably two of the biggest, right? And so I think to that end, getting someone to try to help them to breathe take, you know, long, deep breaths that's coming from way down in their diaphragm versus from up here. Um, okay. Usually when I picture someone having a panic attack, it's kind of what you see in the movies, those really short breaths that are coming from up here in their chest. Um, but trying to get them to slow that down, taking really slow, deep breaths that are coming from way down in their diaphragm is one way to kind of start to slow things down and combat those physical symptoms. I think cognitively, Typically for um, people experiencing panic attacks, those thoughts tend to be very scary. Um, oftentimes people that are panicking think that they're dying. They think that they're having yeah. a panic, a heart attack. You know, the thoughts, they can be completely illogical or rational centered around, you know, this is never going to stop. I can't get this to stop. I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to die. And so I think 
offering the person support and um, maybe words of validation. I know this is scary, but um, you know, I'm here with you. I'm breathing with you. You're going to be okay. It can be really helpful to kind of get them out of that thought spiral that this is something really dangerous and really bad happening right now. Cause I think that's a lot of what kind of maintains the panic is that thought spiral. It's hard to calm down and, and take sleep long, deep, slow breaths when mentally you're telling yourself that yeah. this is a heart attack. And my job in that case, in acute case, would be break that cycle right. or at least slow it down the cycle until right. we get to somebody who knows better than me. Right. So thinking, you know, keeping in mind, this person is probably very afraid. They don't know, they can't, they're having a hard time controlling what's happening in their body. And that's scary for all of us. And when you tie, when you tack that onto symptoms of, I can't breathe, my heart is beating out of my chest, this is really scary. So anything that you can do to provide them with support and maybe a little sense of safety, um, I think could be really helpful in those moments. Perfect. So here you go, guys, whoever listened to us, <laughs> at least we got something on the toolbox that you can use to just break that cycle or slow it down so you can help out your patient. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now talking about your COVID-19 task force, now you, you, you mentioned that you changed, you transform after COVID. What are you guys doing now? It's still the COVID-19 is still. So it's not the, the COVID network has had many, many iterations. Um, like I said, initially we had started just for first responders. We then had opened up to first responders and their friends and family. Um, and then from there we had opened up to anyone who was in a mental health support. And during early COVID, um, the first maybe two years of COVID, I would say, um, it was really great. You know, we had such a huge network of, I have to tell you, it's it was volunteers. And oh, wow. originally we had about 3000 volunteers initially. I mean, and this is everything from therapists, psychiatrists, nurses, yoga teachers, um, art therapists, oh. so many different helping professions who were willing to lend their knowledge and their skills to people who needed it. Um, it be, but it was, it became a lot to manage. And so some of the iterations were, how do we make this more manageable? And also how do we make sure that there's no way to vet all of these people? So, you know, we had to, as we went through the iterations, we had to really kind of cut some corners and really make this something that, um, logistically we could manage. And as you know, I would say for the first year, first year and a half of COVID, a lot of the rules around um, treatment were suspended, right? We, we didn't have a protocol for oh, okay. how to offer mental health services during something like this. You know, therapists typically didn't work from home prior the way that they do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of like red tape that kind of had to be ignored. Um, yeah. And I say ignored in quotation marks um, because the rules were changed right now. You know, the American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association, the state boards made it possible to offer telehealth services um, in a lot of ways that weren't allowed before. And then as we've gotten further along through COVID, you know, the regulations had to be tightened a little bit. And COVID, the COVID network was no exception. So as we got to the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, um, it was really hard for us as a network of volunteers to really keep on top of 
um, these regulations. And so what we did was we took our remaining um, clients and kind of found more established um, networks for them. Okay. This way, people that could really keep on top of, is everyone doing what they are supposed to do in the way that they're providing care? We didn't really have a governing body for that. And, you know, I think we've done a lot. We've helped hundreds of, of people through you know, the, the through the COVID crisis, um, but in, in offering longer term services, just wanted to make sure that everyone was in a safe and secure place. Okay. And that was something that was harder for us to manage. Oh, I bet. So now we're a little bit more of a referral system. <laughs> okay. Well, it works. Whatever. You have to adapt to circumstances. You have to adapt yeah. and overcome. That's, that's part of who we are as a human in general. And we what like we've learned adapt. so much about, right? How to yeah. adapt throughout, throughout the past couple of years. Yeah. Like you said, the, the telemedicine is booming after COVID. Yeah. When you got uh, better help. You got people like that too. You got uh, primary physicians doing telemedicine prescribing medications they give you the email with the with the prescription you have to go to the pharmacy i mean it's completely now it's, everything is online basically yeah it's completely changed access to healthcare, which is which is great you know people yeah. that didn't have access to certain types of healthcare, or maybe it was harder for them it's 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 really opened the floodgates and has made that so yeah. much better especially for mental health because mm -hmm. it used to be a taboo about it yeah. I mean, especially well, I come from uh, South America, Venezuela. I've been mm -hmm. in the state for 18 years. So over there, talking about mental health is is wrong. It's, I mean, right. yeah, <laughs> you know, probably you heard it before. That's a taboo. You're crazy if you even mention it. You're crazy. You go into the Looney Tune house. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen the change and the perspective, especially in that community, Hispanic community, how we treat mental health. It's still hard, but it's, it's way better than before. Right. And uh, having the access online allow you to basically be in your phone, mm -hmm. going to a place and have a therapist right there in your hand, which is right. great. Absolutely. And for you too, it's amazing too, because you can reach more people now, not just in New York City, she's basically around the world. Right. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, you know that yoga teachers were actually in that uh, coalition of people. That's interesting. Yeah, Artists I mean, we that. had all kinds of um, creative yoga and creative um, expression type therapists who were willing to offer services. There's a lot of yoga teachers who use yoga and meditation to help with, hmm. you know, it's great for anxiety, it's great for stress relief, but there's some that really focus on trauma as well. And so it's really? just another way of working through symptoms and experiences. That's actually amazing. I I'm surprised yeah. <laughs> I heard that actually. I never heard that before, but yeah, that's actually... I might try, to be honest. I like to yeah. lift weights. But, uh, and this is kind it. of to our earlier point that, you know, not everything is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so people have to find what they're comfortable with. And for some people, it might be something more like yoga or an art therapist or music therapy that feels more comfortable for mm -hmm. them rather than maybe the traditional, you know, sitting, sitting in a therapist the office or, or doing it through telehealth. And exactly. that's fine. You know, you're recognizing that you need something and this is what you're comfortable with. As long as you're focusing on it and getting the help that you need, it's a good thing. No, that's, that's great. No, that's amazing tool. Um, wow. And I also, before you saw a lot of the changes in New York City, pre-COVID and after COVID, and now with everything that's going on, uh, with the homeless situation that I've seen that in New York City, how that impact 
the the mental health over there are you having increase of people like fear of that's going on in the city because seeing the news and yeah it's 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 not great um it's it's very sad what's happening in new york city um with um, the homeless there's a migrant situation as well mm -hmm. um it's really really sad and i think unfortunately for a lot of people um there is a sense of of concern about safety i, th I think that that at this point now isn't as much of where it was you know maybe a year ago or yeah. you know really coming out of quarantine um because the city there is you know people are back at work tourists are back there are there is a sense of you know back. life back to new york city yes. um so i i don't think there are the safety concerns that there once were at least to the degree that there once was um i think there's there is though a sense of kind of helplessness because it is really sad to see and feel like there's you know maybe there's not too much that that you that you as one person yeah. can do yeah no yeah i went to uh new york city two years ago after COVID was actually ending, it was mm -hmm. beautiful. The, the city was empty. I can go anywhere. <laughs> no, traffic, <laughs> no traffic. No traffic. Everything's clean. Oh, I enjoy yeah. that. I walk all over the place. But yeah, I know. I mean, it's a beautiful city. And, and that's literally the capital of the world uh, in, in the sense of diversity and, and, and the community that is over there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we can talk all of this things because uh it's not just mental health uh, to me mental health is like a big umbrella and uh, mm -hmm. you can attack it from every angle absolutely um, that's why for example have you on the podcast i have uh firefighters i got police guys i got i got a, a person who's a nurse and she's taking herself uh ketamine microdosages uh mm -hmm. therapy and uh she's she's probably already have her first treatment but i got diverse of people that uh, i mean is you can attack that like you said any anything that can help you as long as you recognize the problem i think that'll be the main the main focus of of yeah. mental health at least in the first response yeah, it's recognizing the problem it's finding solutions and um coping strategies they are comfortable with but it's also i think the caveat to that is recognizing that either this isn't working or i need more support and then you know going after whatever that next level of support for each individual is, um, you know, and to your point for firefighters with that kind of community that they've built, I think trying to normalize talking about emotions, talking about experiences, talking about this is what I'm doing to help myself, um, can really go a long way. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, it just takes time. It always takes time. Yeah, it takes time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like everything takes time. Um, anything else you want to add before we conclude our podcast? I know it's a little bit early, but I know you have something else to do and I want to give you time to get ready for the next, uh, uh, thing that you have. And thank you. I appreciate I for think, your time. You know, I, I want to say that uh, for everyone, for you know, web, life is bumpy. You know, the there's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. And it's important that we recognize and embrace all of that. It's completely normal to feel bad. It's completely normal to feel sad. Um, it, 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 that's the reality of life. We have to acknowledge and accept that. And hopefully through conversations like this, the takeaway is that everyone hears that and they're open to getting whatever they need to help themselves live their best life and to feel as healthy as they can. 
whatever yes, that looks like for them. Whatever it looks like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, it's completely true, and I agree with you 100%. Well, thank you, Doc, for your patience and a little time that you gave me. I appreciate it. With this been working a long time and finally have a chance to actually talk. Uh, you're more than welcome. And if you know more people that want to talk about on the podcast, because to me, the more you talk about it or put a little light or shine on it, it's better because mm -hmm. you have to make mental health normal. You have to make right. it a normal conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I take at least one mental health um i go checked out once a year mm -hmm. the same way i do my physical i do a mental health just to make sure that i'm, I'm not getting That's to that great. point so um uh, thank you so much for coming to the podcast thank you for your time um like i said i'll put your description everything on the your contact information description uh hopefully my my listeners hopefully enjoy this conversation if you want back just let me know and or if you know more people i will I'll take more and hopefully one day we can do it in person. I can go to New York. Yeah. Uh, especially <laughs> on the, on the fall because the temperature is actually nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's too cold for the winter. I can't deal with the snow. I'm from South America. I don't deal with that. Neither and, can I. And I've lived here all my life. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how you guys do that. I can't. Even the firefighters, like frozen hoses, water frozen. I can't. No. I don't deal with the sun and the, and the alligators in Florida. <laughs> Well, thank you, Doc, for your, for your patience and time. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, you're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye.